Thanks, Paul. Um, let's start with a, a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll turn to uh, God's word. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for rising from the dead. Lord, you, were, um, you, you died for our sins, and you were raised for our justification. And so we stand with you on this Easter morning, amazed at the new life that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that as we turn now to your word to hear about resurrection, um, Lord, would you sink that into our heart and give us hope because of these things. And Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So um, lately in pop culture, um, I've been seeing a theme that, that's kind of recurring, and uh, I find it a little bit disturbing. So uh, there's a television series that just recently ended, I think it went about five seasons, called The Good Place. And um, it's not about heaven and hell in a Christian sense, so I wouldn't say, you know, don't look to it for theology. It was more of a study in moral philosophy. And kind of giving away the end of it, what they determine is that um, when they finally get to the good place, um, it gets old and they get bored after a while. And so after a certain period of time, they've determined that what's best is to just cease to exist. So they go to the good place, they have a nice time, they have friends, and then they cease to exist. And, and that's what they've determined is, is the ultimate good. Um, another one uh, that uh, is kind of a, a comedy like that as well is something called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And uh, Zoe's father has got this disease where he can't speak or move and, and uh, they know it's deteriorating. And recently they just kind of said, well, isn't that what it means to be human is to die? Um, and I found that a little bit kind of disturbing is, is where's the beauty of life in it? But the one that really got me was the end of uh, Picard, the new Star Trek series. And so I won't give it away because it's still pretty new. But what they determine in the end is that they kind of say what, to, what it means to be ultimately human is to end is to have a finite existence because otherwise that life that we've lived isn't precious because it goes on. And, uh, and so listening to this, I just thought, you know, this is supposed to be comforting. This is supposed to be uh, good news for these folks is that uh, we just stop. We're, we're just done. So to the secularist, the question about what happens with our body is, well, we, we use it for a good period of time. We enjoy it while it's around. And then when it breaks down and, and it ceases to function, we just cease to exist with it. Um, these are all probably healthy people who, uh, who don't have any problems that are saying that. But that, that's the idea is, is the body is to be enjoyed and used. And then when it's done, well, we're, we're done. We're over with. Um, and that's supposed to be good news. That's supposed to be helpful. Uh, the thing that uh, what I want to bring out today is, is um, Jesus' resurrection comes along and it upends all of that. Um, because Jesus is raised, it's what he's saying is, well, what happens in the body is important, but it's not the end. It isn't the, the summation of all what it means to be human. What really angered me with Picard is, you know, they're saying what it means to be human is to end. And I'm like, well, animals do that. Stars do that. I mean, what's the point? That's not human. And like I said, then Jesus comes along and Jesus lives a life and he suffers and he dies and he's planted in the ground for three days and then he rises again. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us there's got to be more to life than just life. And so what I wanted to do this morning by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is, is kind of take Jesus' resurrection and say, how does it apply for us? What does it do for us? And uh, how, do we, um, how do we benefit from it? And so what Paul does in uh, chapter 5 is he explains what the resurrection will be like for us. 
But of course, this is in a context. It's not just, you know, words dropped by themselves. So in chapter four is where his thought process kind of begins. Um, chapter four, verse seven, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So when he says we have this, this treasure in jars of clay, what he's referring to in the jars of clay is our physical bodies. Um, he's kind of picking up on the, a little bit of a Hebrew thing. Um, the word Adam has a couple of different meanings. Um, Adam is the first man. Uh, Adam is the ground. And uh, Adama can be red clay ground. And so Adam is made from this clay. So when he says these jars of clay, he's talking about our physical existence. Um, it's not a, a steel, you know, a, a stainless steel container. It's a jar of clay. It's fragile. It's breakable. But he says in this jar of clay, we have a treasure. We have this, this immense worth that has been poured into it. In the context of, of uh, 2 Corinthians, he's talking about the ministry of the gospel. He's been talking about the ministry of reconciliation. So in these broken, frail, physical bodies, we've been given this, this immense treasure called the gospel, which we go out and we preach. Um, so it's, it's not like the body is in, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really worth anything. It carries the weight of this, this tremendous blessing. So we are these jars of clay. And then a little bit further on in chapter, verse 10 of chapter 4, Paul says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that's where he's picking up that treasure, which is the life of Jesus, and the jar of clay, which is our mortal flesh. So he's acknowledging that these bodies just don't last forever. And, and Paul is saying this from deep personal experience as he's been suffering and he's been beaten and shipwrecked and starving and lost and all of this. The physical body is, is this fragile, weak thing, but what's contained in it is the life of Christ, and it's something beautiful. So in the end, he says, this is how this applies. This is what this means is, um, in verse 16, he says, so we don't lose heart. Um, even though we're suffering, even though we watch, like, it, it appears Paul had bad eyesight, because at the end of Galatians, he says, these are the kind of letters I write with, these big letters. Um, so he, he's, he's looking at his physical existence and saying, that's fading, it's breaking down. But he says, we don't lose heart, because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so what it sounds like at that point is, is well, the physical body doesn't really matter, right? I mean, it's just this transparent thing or this temporary thing. Um, it's, it's around for a while, but as long as we do spiritual work, that's what really counts. And um, that is steeped in Greek thought, because for a lot of Greek philosophy, uh, the physical is uh, substandard. It's, it's not the ultimate reality. It's not who we are. Uh, we are spirit beings, and we're contained in this physical existence. And the ultimate good is to slip off this physical existence and be what we're supposed to be. And that's Greek thought. That is not Christian thought in any way, shape, or form. And so when Paul ends with that, we, we say we don't lose heart because the outer self is wasting away, but the inner self is being built up. So now we get to chapter 5, and he wants us to understand exactly what's going on with that outer self, with that, that part that's wasting away and what's going to happen. So the way it begins is, for we know that if in the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. So he switches his metaphor from jars of clay to a tent. And so what he says is, we're in this tent, 
and it, it, it can be destroyed, it can be ended. Uh, this tent is not a permanent thing, but what we wind up with is not disembodied floating in heaven. What we wind up with is going from a tent, which is you know, frail and it falls apart, needs to be rebuilt every once in a while, to a building, a physical building in heaven that God made. He made it without hands. It's something even better. And that is internal and that's in the heavens. So that's what we're heading towards is not disembodied existence, but we're heading towards something that compares like to a building to a tent. Um, I'm not a camper. I don't like camping that much. And I'd rather sleep in a, in a Radisson than I would in a tent. So that's the kind of, exist, that's the kind of comparison that he's making. Um, so this, this tent of ours is that earthly body, that jar of clay, it's fading away, but the inner man is being renewed on a daily basis. So he says in this, this tent that we're in, this, this temporary lodging, we groan. But what we're groaning for is we're, we're not groaning to be set free from this earthly tent. We're, we're longing not to be released, but we're longing for that heavenly dwelling. So the ideal of like perfect health, um, that's a, a big thing um, in the world these days. There's plenty of uh, websites and, and miracle cures and everything that are out there. Um, that's, I think, reaching for that ultimate dwelling place, that, that final dwelling place that we're going to be in. Um, it's, it's permanent. It's fixed. It doesn't break down like our tent. And so we kind of have built into human, human nature this desire for that ultimate good, uh, for that, that perfect body and that, that um, nature that doesn't break down. So he says, in this tent, we're groaning, but we long to put on that heavenly dwelling because in verse three, he says, uh, we don't want to be found naked. So it's not a good thing to be a disembodied spirit. It's not a bad thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. It's not ultimately what God is going to do with us. And so when you look at, for example, the book of Revelation, the martyrs who have been beheaded are under the throne. And what they're saying is not, Lord, this is awesome. Even though they're right there, they're at the temple, they're, they're in this heavenly place. What they're crying out is, when will we be avenged? When will we be put back together with our physical bodies? When will we be reunited? So we don't want to be found naked. We don't want to be just floating spirits. We're, we're wanting to be in a body because that's how God made us from the very beginning. So that's the groaning that's going on is the outer tent is wearing away and it is an integral part of us. It is part of who we are. So as it breaks down, we groan. We, we actually suffer with it. Um, but we're aiming for that other thing, that, that eternal home. So in verse four, he goes on, he says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed so that what is immortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, um, Paul is careful to avoid that, that Greek philosophy where we're going to escape. He says, we don't groan in order to get out of this. He says, we groan to be clothed. Um, the ESV is the only translation I found that said further clothed. Um, it comes because there's a, a, a prefix on the Greek word there for clothed, epi, which can be an intensive. And I think it's actually not a bad approach, even though the ESV has only done it, because um, where does he go with it? What does he say next? He says, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. So that's where he goes is, is we, we don't want to be unclothed. We don't want to be mortal and then be unclothed. We want to be swallowed up in life. And life then is 
this renewed spirit and this renewed body reunited and joined together. And so that's the intensifier there, that, that further clothed and we're fully clothed or, or really clothed is what we're aching for. So that's, that's the, the thing that we're aiming at. That's what we're longing to do um, is we want to be clothed with this eternal dwelling place. So then verse five, he says, he who prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So when we transition from this mortal, this clay jar, this, this tent existence to the life that God's given us, it's God's work in us that's drawing us there. It's he, he is taking us to that place. He's leading us there. And, and he is the one that's been preparing and working in us. And this is where we tie back to Jesus' resurrection because God has raised up Jesus. God is the one that did it. So Acts uh, 2.24, this was Peter's sermon. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So it was God who raised up Jesus. It will be God who prepares us for this eternal dwelling. It is an existence, a, a, a way of being that God created without hands. And so that's why as Jesus is raised, we will be raised. So that's the, the picture. That's the beauty of it is Jesus' resurrection explains us not that the ultimate good for human beings is non-existence, but ultimate existence, real existence. So it's, it's hard to believe sometimes now because life goes on and things don't seem very different. Um, people, Christians die, non-Christians die. Um, believers get coronavirus, non-believers get coronavirus. Um, in the tsunami of 2006, believers and non-believers were washed away. Um, it, it just feels like it just kind of keeps going on like it's the same kind of thing. That's the groaning of the body um, because we're looking forward. We haven't seen what it is yet, but we have a promise. We have a seal. There is something that God has stamped and said, I promise I am going to give you this thing. I will deliver this to you. And what is that seal? What is that guarantee? He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's, he's put his Holy Spirit in us. That's the guarantee of the promise. That's the down payment, as Paul's version said. That's, that's, that's what signifies this new life awaits for us. And that's also how God is working in us now. He's preparing us for that eternal life. And it's also the Spirit who raised Jesus. So Romans 8.11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That sounds like a pretty good down payment, doesn't it? This is the guarantee. This spirit who you recognize is at work within you, you can see things that he's done, you experience things that he's doing in you. He is the one who will bring your mortal bodies to life. He, he will bring you to that ultimate place. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So this is where he begins to apply it practically. He's gone through the theology of resurrection and what it's going to be like. It's hard to imagine, but it's going to be wonderful. And then he says, therefore, we're of good courage. Because we have this promise that can't be broken, this promise that, that cannot fade away, we have good courage. We, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's kind of a popular uh, phrase, and I think it's often taken out of context. In the 1980s, I think it was 1986, Petra recorded a song, We Walk by Faith and Not by Sight, and I just reviewed the lyrics, and it doesn't really talk about resurrection. But that's exactly what Paul is saying here is he's talking about 
while we're in this world and we see these things going on, the, the, the Christians that we love dying the same way that non-Christians do, uh, those who are born again uh, suffering in, in ways that non-Christians or non-believers uh, suffer. He's, he's, what Paul is saying is he said, of course it's like that. But we don't walk by sight. We don't look at this and, and evaluate the world that way. We walk by faith in that promise of the Holy Spirit, that down payment that we've been given. That's how we walk. We walk by faith, not by sight. So therefore, we're of good courage. Because what we recognize is while we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. So Jesus has physically raised from the dead. He, he worked with his disciples for 40 days. And now that physical body is in the actual temple in heaven at the right hand of power. His, his physical body is there with him in heaven. He is that complete person again. And so that's the faith that we walk by as we say, well, we have seen somebody who's actually been there, who, who's actually died and come back. So whereas The Good Place and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and Picard may theorize about, well, maybe the best thing to do is just not exist when you die. We've had somebody who's gone, who's died, and who's come back and said, no, wait, I have something better for you. I have something prepared for you. So that's how we have to walk by faith, is we're, we're trusting in the Lord in this great and this tremendous promise that he sealed with his, the, second, the third person of the Trinity has sealed it to us to come and dwell with us. So we walk by faith when we see people we love grow weak and confused in their old age as their tents wear out. We walk by faith when we see children with cancer and meningitis and spina bifida because these things are hard to hear. They're hard to bear. It's hard to see that kind of thing. This is a walk of faith because while we're at home in these bodies, we're away from the Lord. And, and we're waiting for that new dwelling place, that, that dwelling place that won't go away. And Jesus himself promised it to us. Um, in John 14, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go, or if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus is going to prepare that dwelling place for us. He's getting it ready. Remember, Paul said it's in heaven. It exists in heaven. That's what Jesus is doing. And he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to myself, that you may be with me where I am also. So that's the blessing of Jesus' resurrection, is that, that picture, that promise, this concrete reality that happened in space and time as Jesus rose from the dead. And he says, I'm bringing that to you too. That's the ultimate good. So prepare, God has prepared us by his spirit for these very things. So Paul goes on in, in verse 8. He says, yes, and we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. That, that's how we would rather be is this mortal body. We would rather have this, this existence as we struggle along and, and knees give out and hair falls out and you need glasses and, and um, backs give in and, and knees ache and, those, and feet get sore. We would rather be away from that and rather instead be with the Lord in that new body, in that new dwelling place. So we have to have good courage while we're doing this because we know something better waits. So verse 9, he goes on. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, this is where he's getting real practical with us. The question I ask at the beginning is, um, if these bodies wear out and break, do they even matter? Does it, does it really matter? And what comes next? Well, we got the what comes next. Now we have to ask, answer that question about why these bodies then? Why, why do we have this intermediate existence 
of, you know, 60, 70, 80 years, of, you know, and then all of a sudden we're gone. Uh, what was the point of this if we're going to live for eternity? He, he goes on and explains it for us. He says, whatever, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So we're, our aim is to please God. And this is where our physical bodies, what happens in these, these tents, these jars of clay matters. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that everyone may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So here's, here's the promise, is what you do now in this physical body, in this jar of clay, matters. It, it ultimately matters. It will follow you to heaven, what you have done in this physical body. So the secularist says, you know, have a good time with it, do, you know, do interesting things with it, and then when it breaks down and it's gone, you know, that's it, you're, you're, you're done. But what the Christian says is, no, it's our aim to please God. We have been given this immense treasure in this jar of clay. And what we do with that will follow us into heaven. It will matter for eternity. So what you do today does matter. It does, it does count. Our body is not just thrown away and, and poof, it's gone. So our body's imperfect and, and, and weak as they are, they're not pointless. Um, these jars of clay do contain this immense wealth. Tents can be upgraded one day for a God-made building that won't age, get weak, or be destroyed. And so what will be the, that be like? The, the problem that the good place had was you get to the good place, not heaven. There was no God. There was um, no heaven or hell. There was a good place and a bad place. And um, so they asked the question, well, well, what's the good place like? Well, it gets boring after a while, doesn't it? And, and can you imagine what eternity will be like? No, we can't because we've only had a finite existence. But we do have a scriptural promise. And that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So what we, we look into eternity and we wonder, what will that be like? All we can do is grasp images from this life, because it's the only life we've ever had, and try to imagine what that will be like for eternity, on and on and on. And what Paul is telling us here is, is you can't. You just can't imagine it. Um, what the Spirit has revealed to us has been glimpses of it and promises of it, and, and concrete things that we can look to and we can hope for. But if all we're counting for is the joy that we have in this body, and then when it's over, it's over, we're in big trouble because there's an eternity that faces us. And so there's more that we could even imagine. Um, the Bible runs out of language to try to wrap around the promises that wait for us in heaven. So we can't even imagine what it was like. But we have Jesus as the first fruits. Jesus is the one who was raised from the dead as the first fruit of the living. He, he's come back and he's shown us that there is joy in heaven. He, he's promised us these great and wonderful things. And so this is the fruit of our existence. This is the fruit of Jesus' uh, resurrection is our eternal life with him in heaven. And so what I want to say to you in the end is happy Easter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the great, immeasurable, unbelievable promises that you have given us. And Lord, we wouldn't, these jars of clay would not be able to contain it. We wouldn't be able to walk by faith. We wouldn't believe the things that you have promised us 
if it were not for the seal of your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit renews our heart, renews our minds, and roots in us the love of God, shedding the love of God abroad in our hearts so that we can hope in those promises. And so, Lord, as we face this pandemic around the world and we hear of people suffering, um, Lord, I pray that, that our eyes would remain fixed on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, as, as we all age and to um, the point that, that our bodies are no longer functioning like they used to when we were younger, Lord, I pray that you would give us faith and hope and trust in you that we will be renewed and made new again in the new heavens and the earth. And Lord, as our minds begin to get fuzzy and, and uh, memories get confused and, um, and things begin to get lost, Lord, I pray that you would not lose in the midst of that fog the hope that we have of a new mind, a renewed mind, and a new life in Christ. So Lord, this Easter, we thank you for rising from the dead, from showing us that walking out of a grave is possible, and it's not boring, and it doesn't end there. Lord, that there are great things, things we can't imagine, things that we can't articulate, things that we can't even begin to see yet that await for us. And Lord, would you bring them to us soon, we pray. We ask all of this in Christ's name, because he's the risen one. Amen.